welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello, everybody. I am so excited and honored to be bringing to you today's episode with my dear friend, Julie. Julie's son, Donovan, and my son, Austin, are on the same soccer team. And I'm going to tell in the interview how I first got connected with their family and specifically her husband. And we're going to talk about the incredibly harrowing, painful journey that she's been on for the last two plus years as her husband battled a brain tumor and eventually passed away. We're going to talk all about single motherhood. We're going to talk about how she helps her kids to process grief, how she's been able to process her own grief on her own. She's just so incredible. She's a high school English teacher. She's incredibly well-spoken, and I'm just so grateful to be able to ask some of the hard questions that a lot of us might want to ask somebody or might want to know the answers to so that we can help support someone that we really love that's going through something difficult. She is the real deal, you guys. She is so extraordinary, and I'm so honored to be chatting with my friend, Julie Gressley-Anger. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting in person. I never do these in person with my friend Julie. Hi, Julie. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I am so excited to record this episode, but these are the hardest episodes to record. And you're an extraordinary person, irrelevant of your story that you're about to share today. And I would have you on anyway. But I'm, we're going to talk about a lot of hard things, but you're yes. superwoman. In and of itself. I just want to say that. Well, I appreciate you. You are constantly lifting me up with your kind comments. So I'm really excited to talk today about some really hard things. Yeah. Well, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Sure. Um, I'm Julie. I'm a teacher at Corona High School. I adore teaching. um, And it is where I met my husband, Kevin. Um, I've taught for about 18 years. I teach language arts. Um, We have two children, Donovan and Emerson, age seven and nine. Yeah, we live in Corona, California. Uh, I've grown up in California. Uh, my husband's originally from Illinois, um, and so we crossed paths um, at work. That's how I met him. Yeah, we are a soccer family. Um, my kids are heavily involved in, um, in athletics. Um, I love what I do for my job, and I love the time that I get to spend with my kids um, pursuing their passions in life um, on the evenings and weekends. So the cool thing is that you and your husband were both soccer coaches and did the girls soccer team think that they're responsible for your love story ultimately <laughs> they definitely were yes so he was coaching the boys team I was coaching the girls team and um when we did first start hanging out um it, it was pretty secretive because since we worked together you know we were trying to be very professional but the girls were definitely trying to hook <laughs> us up and then when obviously all of that was revealed they definitely took credit for it they all wanted to attend the wedding. Um, yes, the, the high schoolers um, loved being a part of, of our story and were happy to see us together. That's a really special thing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine the eagerness and little do they know, like, all oh, this is going on behind the scenes. 
scenes yes. way before they had any idea. I love that. Yeah, so I know you through soccer. Your son Donovan is on my son Austin's soccer team. And and actually, I met your husband before I met you. When we first moved to Corona, Austin was trying out with a different team. And we didn't know anybody. And Austin was having a really hard time with the move. And he showed up to that first practice and kind of uncharacteristically was like breaking down and not wanting to go out there. I mean, he was two years younger or three years younger than he is now. And your husband was there with your next door neighbor, one of your neighbors, he was a good friend of yours. And they had brought their sons to practice and they saw that Austin was having a hard time. And Kevin specifically was like, Hey buddy, like, what's your name? Like, Hey, can we just like walk out there or, you know, have you played soccer? And just started talking with him and just kind of got his mind off of the pressure of going into a new environment, which is really hard. And I was just so grateful that night. Um, he was always in a beanie and like yes. butt bundled up to like yes. the hills and it, and it was legitimately cold too. But I just was like, Oh wow. Like what an amazing thing to like step outside and like notice, especially in other moms, like having a hard time with their kid and, and to step in. So, yes. um, knowing you guys now, it doesn't surprise me at all that he was connected to you and to being a teacher and to being a great dad. But that was my first impression of, of him. And I yeah. love that story. Yeah. That sounds so much like him. Yeah. Um, he continually just talked to strangers out in public. He was so enthusiastic about life and the, the people surrounding him in life and was excited about every day and loved, loved working with young people and definitely had a skill set for it. So, um, you know, he, he coached young soccer players and older soccer players. And so I love that that was your first opportunity to meet him. Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in real quick and thank a show sponsor and that is Skylight Frames. You guys, I gave this to my grandparents in the middle of the pandemic and being able to send digital photos to their picture frame when we couldn't get into their assisted living facility It was a game changer for them. They love seeing the new pictures pop up and it is so amazing. So with the holidays right around the corner, if you're looking for the perfect gift for a loved one who has everything, the Skylight Frame is your answer. So the Skylight Frame is a frame that you can digitally update instantly by email from anywhere. And the cool thing is I gave out the email address to the frame to all of my cousins as well. So anybody could add pictures to my grandparents' frame. It's a great way to feel close to those you love even when you are separated. It updates effortlessly in 60 seconds. It's so easy to use, not high-tech technology, just plug it in use the touch screen and connect to your wireless network. And like I said, multiple people can send photos so everybody can benefit. Plus, it's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight Frame, they'll offer you a full refund, which I think is really, really amazing. So now as a special offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code MOMS, M-O-M-S. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code M-O-M-S. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com. Promo code MOMS. M-O-M-S. Thanks, Skylight Frames, for sponsoring the show and giving us a no-brainer gift idea for the holidays. Now let's finish up my conversation with Julie. So... Fast forward a little bit, and this is where the story starts to get hard. Right. What happened? Like, what what were some of the symptoms, and how did that unfold? Yeah, so uh, Kevin was a completely athletic, healthy person. Um, 
he he described headaches, um, and I think he was having them more so than he had mentioned to me, but uh, enough to realize that he was having headaches, and that was completely abnormal for him. Mm -hmm. So he was a type of person that never really got sick, um, didn't ever really take medication, you know, no Tylenol, no Advil, and so... I get headaches all the time. So, you know, the fact that he was mentioning them, it just, I was like, maybe you should go in. Mm -hmm. So uh, he did book an appointment and the um, doctor that saw him diagnosed him with migraines and wanted to send him home with some medication. And he told that doctor, I'm not going to take that medication. So I'll just ride this out basically Mm -hmm. and figure out some other ways to try to help my headache. And, um, I don't know if it was him choosing to say that or not, but the doctor said, oh, why don't we put you in for a scan just to see if there's anything else contributing to your headaches. So we, we waited a little bit, you know, for that appointment to come. And then that that first scan came back. Um, he got a phone call and said, you know, there's something there, but we're just really not sure what it is. The scan isn't very clear. We need to set you up for, a, you know, a more thorough look at this. Mm-hmm. So that was the first moment where we were both kind of like, wait, what? Like, there's something there? And how old was he? So he was 39. Okay. 39. So um, he went back in for another scan um, relatively soon after that. And I remember that day vividly. I went to work um, because he was like, why would you stay home to for me to go to another scan? I'm going to sit there. They're going to call me in. They're going to scan me. going to come back home. You know, it's not really a big deal. We're not going to like know anything. So don't take a day off work. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds reasonable. So I went and I was just not okay that day. Um, just the not, it was just, I was not okay not being with him. And I ran into a colleague in the copy machine and she could just tell I wasn't okay. And she was like, you need to go home and be with him. And I walked mm-hmm. into the office and they could see I was crying and they were like, you're go home. We'll take care of it. And I'm so thankful that I did because we did get the news that day. Um, he scanned a phone call came in and you know, I'm, I'm sitting next to him and you can't hear what's being said on the other side of the line. You can just see what he's doing mm-hmm. and hear what he's saying. And I instantly knew like, this is, this is not good. They did use the word cancer in that phone call, um, but it took us quite a while after that initial phone call to really figure out what it was and what was ahead of us. So the phone call literally said, pack your bags and come to the hospital. And that was the day our journey, the battle started. I can't even imagine how life for you just flipped on a dime. Like It did. It, it, you know, they you hear those things, you know, like live life to the fullest and treat every day like your last and these things that you hear but literally my life changed in one phone call in one moment and I can think back to that day and just we were so happy outside of that scan we were getting to spend a day together without the kids around we never had a day together (laughs) off of work and we were enjoying it like we were we were spending quality time together and then instantly that phone call and I obviously did not know what was to come after that, but there was no turning back after that, after that moment that once we realized what was happening, Kevin was a completely different person after that moment. And our life as a family changed after that moment. Yeah. Once you got more information, how did you both kind of approach it? Yeah. I would say, um, both of us being athletes, we were both just 
very determined and we both very hard workers and and this was no different that we were going to go figure out what this was and we were going to work and we were going to do whatever it took and we were going to be a team together but the differences in us is I'm very practical. I'm a planner. I'm an organizer. And Kevin was my dreamer. He was the person that was spontaneous and did not worry about anything. And I would worry about everything. <laughs> so um, those two things worked together in that I was willing to handle figuring out how we were going to do this as a family. And he could focus on him and everything it was going to take for him to to battle and to to feel good and do everything that was ahead. So we definitely, I mean, I, I remember doctors joking and just absorbed with who he was as a person. And mm. he, he was him through it all. And people enjoyed his company in hospital rooms because he was still a joy to be around and still positive and just willing to still be living life daily and although that that looked differently for him um throughout the journey that there was still that in him um and he was not going to let that be taken away which was um hard to watch and also beautiful to watch a winner. I did. <laughs> you picked a real winner, Julie. Oh, that is so beautiful. Did you tell your kids anything? What did they yeah, ha- so How old were they at that time? Yeah, so Emerson was five. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Donovan around seven. Um, so what was difficult is Kevin and I didn't exactly even know what we were really up against right away. It mm-hmm. took them a long time to really determine what it was. And since it was in his brain, he had brain cancer, um, they, they had to biopsy it, that we went through every single test possible and they had to do brain surgery in order to figure out what it was. So that in and of itself was an undertaking. So treatment couldn't even start until brain surgery had happened, recovery from that had happened, and we really knew what we were dealing with. So um, the diagnosis was terminal and We were seeing so many different doctors that I remember the moment when I first heard that word and they assumed we had already, the doctor assumed we had already knew that. Whoa. Because I think when you hear the word cancer, you're so used to knowing, okay, you have cancer, there's a plan, you know, you start chemo and that that's what a cancer journey is. And so to hear that there's, there is an end to this. And that we're just going to do what we can. That was a moment where it it was just, wait, what? You know, you just can't wrap your brain around it. And Kevin so. was healthy, you know, three weeks yes, ago. And now he's Yes. Not. And we were weeks wow. into appointments and scans and everything at that point, you know. And I could tell the doctor did not, like, could tell that we did not know that. And so it was hard. And. A lot of times, uh, you know, doctors are very just matter of fact, like this is what it is. Here's what we can do. Here are the stats, you know. And so to hear your life talked about in a matter of statistics, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard. Um, and we had very caring doctors. And so Kevin's diagnosis, which was um, geoblastoma, is typically something that um, people in their senior years are di- diagnosed with. And so it's very, very rare for a young person to have it. 
So um, a lot of the data around it, they doctors believed that statistically he was going to do really well because he had his age, he had his health, and that we were given a, a general lifespan and there was a lot of hope that he could overcome that even, you know, wow. that you can beat some of these odds. So because of all of that, um, that we just felt grounded in a plan and Kevin and I chose to keep our eyes on that, mm-hmm. that we're not talking about now, we are talking about a down the road thing and he was willing to do anything for more minutes. I remember him when we were even looking into possible medical trials, th- trying new things. He, I mean, his words were, I would do anything to have more time with my family. So sign me up, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so we did not choose to tell the kids that it was terminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very honest about cancer. Um, and they saw that their dad was changing and we wanted to be realistic about that. We always felt that honesty, um, that kids actually deal better with, facts and truth and they can navigate with that that reality a little bit more easily Mm. um and they had seen my mom was actually finishing her battle with breast cancer her last day of chemotherapy was kevin's first day of chemotherapy they were in the same ward it was it was a lot (laughs) i will tell you that it was a lot and so in my kids eyes you know cancer is this thing that you know you're sick with but you go to a lot of appointments, you lose your hair, it's rough, but that's what you and do. And then you finish it out. And then you finish it, wow. right? Wow. And so we chose to use that as a, a an, an entrance into those conversations. But dealing with a brain is completely different. And that's where things were hard is because the location of his tumor would affect his memory and his ability to speak. And so I knew that was something my kids were going to be able to watch happen. So I needed to be honest with them about, you know, this is in dad's brain and some days he might, you know, not be thinking as clearly, you know, and be honest that he was going to go in and out of those moments and we were going to be there to help him and support him. And it was still dad and we were still going to have fun. And, um, and so we were honest about cancer because heck, they were in the car coming with me to some of those appointments. I mean, they were very much a part of the journey with us. Um, but um, after Kevin's passing, um, the kids had a lot of questions. Yeah. So I did, um, have to bring in some more truths after in their grieving process because there was a time and place for some more truth to be told because they needed answers. And some of those questions they will never have answers to. And I felt it important for them to have questions to like answers to some of those questions to help them. It is such a monumental thing to go through as a family and yet here you are doing it for the very first time. You know, like it, it, there's no road ma- there's no. no roadmap, there's no precise way to do it. There's no right way to do it, there's no wrong way to do it. You're just trying to figure it out. And I think that uncertainty had to be really emotionally draining a lot of times. I can I can only imagine. And so by all intents and purposes, you started out on this journey thinking you had time. You just needed to buckle down, get to work, work as a team and you'd have time. Yes. When did you find out that that you probably would not have as much time as you had hoped? Yes. That is the hardest part of the story is because I think none of us knew. So, um, he was in his first, I mean, he was in plan a of treatment. 
um, Kevin got his diagnosis where we really knew what was happening um, and what we were dealing with in November of 2019, and he passed in March of 2020. So he had six rounds of chemotherapy. He um, did it orally, so it was like a pill each day. He got to do chemotherapy at home, but I took him for daily radiation treatments. Mm. Um, The chemotherapy changed throughout. And um, we were dealing with a lot of medication, a lot of medication that came with different side effects. And so there was a lot of shifting of that throughout and behaviorally Kevin would change with that. And um, I had noticed a pattern of anytime he was, um, he had to take a very strong steroid to control the swelling in his brain because if it was swollen too much, he would lose physical ability and he would lose speech. And so a lot of times they wanted to reduce the steroid because it's not very healthy to be on that for lengthy amounts of times. And he hated it. It it was affecting his sleep and affecting who he was as a person and absolutely hated it. So anytime we reduced that, I would see some side effects come into play. And then after chemotherapy, he did get really, really sick. And so that had already happened once. And so um, I assumed that was what was happening again. He was really losing his ability to speak. Um, and I've, I've come to appreciate, um, as much as I hate my story, I have been able to, now in hindsight, appreciate some of the timing of things. Mm. And um, some family had come into town just to visit. And so the night that Kevin went into the hospital, um, I was at dance practice with Emerson, and I got to see him briefly when I came home from work and he was just not doing well. Um, and that went to bed early that night and just continued to not do well that night. And so I was up with him that night watching concerning symptoms. And then, uh, it got to the point where I did call the ambulance. Um, he was, he became unresponsive. And so I was so thankful to have family members in the house because I did not want the kids to see. And I needed to be able to go to the hospital and not bring them with me. Um, So when they came, um, I could tell when they took vitals that they did not like what they saw. Um, And so I I followed the ambulance and essentially was called back and, and just told that he had lost all brain function and he was put on life support. And that was it. So it was an unexpected moment. Yeah. So there's gratitude in that, in that to live a life prolonged maybe like that, there would not have been joy in that for him. um, And it would have been difficult for my children for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the immediacy of, of that, it was not expected for me to be called back there and be told that and then know that his family was coming to meet me and I was going to be the one to share that news with him was difficult um so that was it we had time to um fly people into town to say some goodbyes but that that was it so sorry thank you yeah the day the days after that are then what um became the hardest days of of our lives because I had to go home and tell children children who it's a whole different fight said, again right right yeah. who, who said goodnight to their dad woke up to him not being there and then I bring home the news so yeah it was very difficult yeah and you had mentioned to me 
I'm sure you had many conversations with him as he knew that he was declining. Did he express what he wanted for you, for your family? Like, what did he want your kids to know? And yes, he knew you you would be fine. Right. Right. So initially, my wishes, I had a lot of guilt and maybe anger towards not engaging in more conversations like that because, mm. again, we thought we were dealing with more time. Yeah. Um, nothing about us was preparing for an end. So the difficult parts of that was that because his brain was affected, there were days Kevin forgot even what he had and we would be driving to a radiation appointment and he would ask like I would have to retell him what we were doing and what the diagnosis was and so that was difficult for me to do on repeat and it, it was almost easier to just allow him to be wherever he was mentally and physically and not like seek those answers from him. Sure. Because I knew in my heart that I knew those answers already right. due to how he lived his life and how he treated us. Right. I knew my kids knew how much he loved them. I knew he knew how much we all loved us. Mm-hmm. And so that is where I rest at peace with that is that I can look towards a life that I know we didn't have to have those conversations. Yeah. Um there was one day of clarity, which is the day that I, the comment I latch on to, um, Kevin was my biggest cheerleader. Um, he believed I could do anything. He told me about it all the time, how (laughs) awesome I was, how beautiful I was, all the things, all the things. So I missed that. And he, on a drive to radiation, I feel like it was his moment where he somewhat new. And he just said, I want you to know that if this is the end for me, that I have lived an absolutely incredible life that I am happy with. And I want you to know that you can do this. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. And that was it. So, so you cling to that. That is what you, I cling you to. You cling to that, right? That is what I cling to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll keep cheerleading you on. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think you could do anything, Julie. Thank you. <sighs> when you s- suffer so greatly that loss, because you—I mean, a mother's role is so complex. When you lose, you lose your spouse, that identity of being married. Yes. You—that's your person, your best friend, and yes. then also you're helping your kids process losing their dad, and I'm sure you know his family losing their son. I mean, it's just—it's so complicated, and we take on so much as mothers to kind of manage other people's emotions and everything like that. How were you able or how do you continue to, to strive to be able to kind of protect yourself and your boundaries and uh, make sure you're taking care of yourself when there's yes. a lot of people that you might feel responsible for? Oh, I think all mothers struggle with that to some extent. There's been a lot of learning in that for me because your your priority number one is is your children and so when your children are breaking and crumbling you can't break and crumble at the same exact same times you are you are um and we did have those moments together but you also are very focused on making sure that they are okay I feel that I've learned a lot about listening to my emotions and then 
helping my, my children to, to learn that about themselves as well. So in terms of taking care of myself, I feel like I've learned that our, our body's way of communicating to us is through our emotions, that our bodies are actually really great at identifying what we're feeling. And it, it speaks to us through our emotions. And oftentimes there are unpleasant emotions that we experience as humans. And we do a lot to try to get rid of them or other people in wanting to help us are trying to direct us away from those. Yes. Yes. That's a great, that's such a powerful insight, right? Like we think by doing something, we can make you feel better or by not bringing it up, you'll forget all the pain for a second. But yes, you can't offer that to anybody. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So for me and my own self-care, and obviously at the beginning, what I was experiencing at the beginning versus what I'm experiencing now, they're extremely different places of my life. But really listening to what I'm feeling and thinking about why I'm feeling it, there's just something grounding about it for me. Our, our family learned this strategy called name it to tame it. Um, and not that I believe that your emotions need to be tamed, but there's something grounding about identifying what you're feeling and then exploring the reasons why. Because some of those reasons are things in our control and some of them are not. Um, But if I'm feeling worry, if I'm feeling sadness, if I'm feeling angry, to think about why I am and then what what I need in order to just sit in that emotion. So I've realized that being in the emotion itself has almost been the most healing. Um, you know, some of those are, I have taught my kids strategies for handling some of those emotions. Um, but oftentimes for me, I just need the time to be in that emotion because my body's telling me I need to feel it and I'm feeling it for a reason. And that that's coming from somewhere. And I need to dedicate the time to that emotion in order to make it, make it serve me in a way and figure out what I really am needing because of what I'm, I'm experiencing. See, you're extraordinary. <laughs> this is, oh my gosh, that is so incredible. Did you know you had that in you and that insight and that wisdom in you prior to this experience? Is this something I, that you had like recognized in yourself that you had that emotional intelligence before? Like, did you feel prepared to handle this or did you learn along the way? I don't think so. I mean, some people have told me that they feel like, oh, you'd be a great guest speaker. Or you'd be a great counselor. Yeah. And maybe some of that has come from just my experience with working with kids, you know, and, yeah. and helping people through areas of their life. But more so for me, not so much. I mean, I'm a go-getter by nature. I can easily be a busybody and I'm going to do all the things. Right. And I'm not usually on that list of things to take care of or slow down for. The grieving process has made me slow down and pay attention because I had to, I had to or else yeah. I knew I would not I would not be okay. I could not fake it through what I was feeling. Um, and and granted I do have to say that um, some of the stay-at-home orders and the timing of when this happened in my life gave me time. Sure. I mean, this is everybody is is going through a time in the world during the pandemic where it's like everyone's confused, everyone's struggling, but to struggle in this way Ugh. on your own, I mean, you didn't even get to have a funeral no. right away. It was the hardest and the best thing to have happen. I mean, now I do not believe that people take three to five days bereavement, that they 
host a funeral or a memorial within a week or two's time, I... If there, was, if right, there was if there was a way right. we could change that as a society, I would be the biggest proponent of it because mm-hmm. it's it's it is a blur. You are not okay. Um and as humans we we need to be okay. We need to we need to make sure we're okay. We know mental, you know, mental health is just really more on our radar more than it ever has been. And I do think some of the ways that we approach emotions and some of our hardest times as humans that there's a lot of work we could put into that as a society to better help all of us overcome. Well, I think there's just so many things that are on autopilot. Like this is how it's done. Like, okay, so somebody passes a week later, there's a funeral and then you're supposed to move on. Like, right. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's just customary. And I think given the opportunity and I think the pandemic did kind of break open a lot of these, these norms um, in some really terrible ways, but also maybe in some, some positive ways in the long term. But just reevaluating, like, does this work for me to, to have everybody in my house next week and host a luncheon and right pr- process all the things? Or a year later, you had a wonderful celebration for yes, your husband. We did. And you're able to gather safely with colleagues and friends and family. How did that feel? So it was a little bit more than a year later, yes, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah. How did that there feel? was it, it felt great. There was a lot of frustration in the the waiting. Mm. Um however, I, I was coming from a place of you know, obviously knowing how important, you know, health is and having people in our lives. I did not want to push a, an unsafe memorial. I didn't want anyone to not come that wanted to be there. I didn't want to put anyone's health at risk. So that was okay in my heart to wait. But there was some sadness associated with that. Um, the flip side was, is I, I think I did it in a very unconventional way. I had people to my home, which was our favorite place to be anyways. And, um, it definitely felt more of a celebration that got to honor him in all of his unique ways. And it was great for my kids, um, to see them, smiling and being around Kevin's favorite people and hearing um and being with those people and hearing stories that they had never heard and also getting to see the the tears and the emotions that were there too because a lot of a lot of being in quarantine did isolate us you know and so we were grieving very much alone um and there was good parts of that and then parts that I worried about my kids not getting to do that alongside others or have any of their friends or our community kind of see that and be a part of that healing process too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember when soccer resumed at one of the first practices, Austin came home and said, do you know Donovan's dad died? And I'm like, what? And I thought, cause we had lost touch right. and, and we hadn't been together on a team since the pandemic started. And I'm just like, what happened, you know, and then being able to reconnect has, has been so wonderful, but I mean, yeah, it, it, he had some time to process that and he wanted to put it out there. Is that something you encourage him to do, to talk about? Is that something that he just comes out with sometimes? Um, Donovan? Yeah. Yeah. So my kids, they, they love to talk about their dad. Yeah. Um, so that is, is something that I think people need to know about all great grieving people is for the most part, um, 
they want to talk about their person that they want it's it's not even if there are going to be tears involved that that is very much something they want to continue in their life and so Donovan and Emerson they will say his name they will talk about him and a lot of times people are surprised at how casually they will do that it will come up in a very ordinary moment but for them it is their life and it's normal for them to talk about their life and their favorite people yeah he is their dad yes um and at the at the same token you know there are different you know triggers and things that stir up emotions in them that they are not expecting to have in that moment due to a very ordinary experience that they're having so um Donovan struggles a little bit more talking about his sadness that he has in comparison to just Mm -hmm. his dad and his memories and the joy that's there. Um, So absolutely, uh, parents have told me, oh, you know, they were they were off playing and, you know, Emerson just brought this up. And I I wanted you to know that I think that's so great that she chose to say it in conversation. And she said it without tears. And it was kind of good for the other kids to hear that. And. Um, so I am proud that they that they do not steer away from talking about yeah. his memory and who he was. Absolutely, yeah, I I could not agree more, and and I think probably a, th- a through line of lots of different conversations I've had with with women who have have been through loss like this is that you know in the immediate aftermath of a loss, you know you're on everybody's mind. People are checking in. There's meals. There's donations. There's this. There's that. And there's a kind of a frenzy of activity and then it kind of diminishes and life goes back to normal for everyone else but you yes talk to me about that how can we as loving friends who want so desperately to support other people who have gone through something like what you've been through how do we do that what is the best way we can show up for our <sighs> friends this is such a great question i would talk to you all day about this <laughs> good i this is one of those areas that I think we just have so much to learn. And I carried a lot of guilt having then gone through this and looking back to what I did in my past to help friends or loved ones and how I was like, I have failed. I have failed at this. I Mm -hmm. thought I was helping and maybe I wasn't right. Cause you don't know until you're in it, until you're experiencing it. So, um, I have, uh, such a great, community and support system and they they did big things for us I have so much to be grateful for in that um you're right about things being very immediate and a lot of times that's very overwhelming because it Mm. all comes at one time you can only handle so many casseroles is what it comes down to right right so um there's just so many different things I could suggest that are very very helpful practical things is what I would say that when you're in those immediate stages of grief you can't even think straight. Some days you can't even get up and physically move. And so just the logistics of how a household, what a household needs, and then especially losing a spouse. It's like I went from having somebody that helped me with all of the household responsibilities to then needing to handle it all on my own. Mm -hmm. So some of my friends thought about what some of those things that I would need would be. For example, Kevin always took care of our pool. I don't know a thing about taking care (laughs) of the pool, it turns out. And so a friend texted me immediately. My friend uh, takes care of pools. He's showing up to your house to clean your pool. He will continue to clean your pool until you make arrangements. Um, Something like 
something like that that just becomes a, a way of I'm going to try to take something off your plate. I'm going to not ask you yes. what you need. Because that's what we do. We send right. a text. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Please tell me what I can do to help. Right. No one ever tells you what you can do to help. Right. I've done right. that so many times. Right. So yeah. we can't. And it's well-meaning. We can't do yeah. that. Yeah. I think okay. you have to go with your gut and you have to do something. And it's much better to do something and guess that it's something that's going to help rather than ask because right. you're not going to get an answer. Um, I saw I've... a great post on social media the other day that was somebody had uh, miscarried and a friend sent a text and it said, okay, you have three options. Yes. One, uh, you know, I can yes. send DoorDash tonight. Yes. Two, I can take your kids for the afternoon. That's it. Three, I can do none of these and I'll say a prayer and I'll yes. leave ice cream on your doorstep and you don't even have to talk to me. That's like... exactly what I was going to say yeah, is give options. if you want some choices, you got to give them options. Okay. Um, you, if you don't hear a response, you just... You do something. I got lots of porch drop-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to we need to be ready to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really hard for me because oftentimes um, someone would reach out and it wasn't the time that I was ready to talk. So good, yeah. And then when I was ready to talk, there was nobody it felt like. Mm-hmm. And so... You need to you need to offer that and mean it to people that like your group of friends bands together and says we are gonna tell this person that that she's can go through any of us and one of us has got to pick up the phone like if yeah. if this person needs to talk that we are going to be able to commit to dropping whatever we are doing in that moment to allow that to happen mm. um, because I think people were oftentimes thinking I was okay when. They'd come and we'd be like, okay, let's sit on the porch, you know, social distance style and talk. And a lot of times those conversations would be completely normal. And I was just not in a place. I was enjoying the normal. Mm -hmm. And I was not in a moment of wanting to talk about my hardest feelings. I was just getting to enjoy my temporary you know, yeah. reality that was away. So kind of let the person lead a little bit. Like, cause how do I know, how do I know right. if you want to talk about that and you have feelings, are you coming to me about that? Or right. am I saying, how are you doing today? And then that's your window to go where you want to go. Right. And I think probably every person might be different in that sure. and, and being brave enough to have those conversations. So yeah. I have a friend that. I know I, I text and I will just tell her anything like oh, I'm trying to make this decision I'm feeling this way and sometimes I just need to say it to somebody yeah yeah. but her response will always be do you want to chat yeah and that's always the response and then that way I know I can call or I can respond back with a text and just say no I just needed to say it to somebody or yeah like I yeah and I'm gonna call you you know Mm -hmm. um so I loved DoorDash gift cards. Uh-huh. Um, I actually used them more, much further, much further away from Kevin's passing sure. because I did not expect the days that were just going to be unexpected days where I crumbled. And you, you need days to just be able to say, I, I really can't even get myself together. Mm-hmm. I need to order some food. Um, and it's, it's just done. Yeah. And, and friends would do that. They would sometimes just send that months after just like hey you deserve a day make this your day and use it when you need to 
I would say remembering people's important dates, just Mm -hmm. things. And to me, I've been terrible with that my entire life. And now I I have a planner and I write people's, write people's things in it. And I transfer that over year to year because even just a simple text on somebody's potentially hard day, it makes a world of difference to just know someone knows. Someone's thinking of me. Someone remembers. Um, My community did a great job of thinking about my particularly hard days. Um, like my mother's days, they're completely different now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I have friends, your kids prep, right? Yeah. yeah they reach out right, to my right. kids and they say, what do you want to get her? Right. And they or- helped them order flowers and flowers, you know, arrived and just thinking about all of that and being mindful of that. Right. Because yeah. the grief doesn't disappear for someone. And, that's it. So, you know, I have a friend who lost her mother years ago. And, and then just thinking back, I was like, I have not done these things for her throughout. She's one of my best friends. Yeah. And the thing is, you can get hung up on like, oh, I should have done this better. But like, you can also start. Yes. Right? Like, yes. it's not it's not too late. You can exactly. ask for that date. You can be reminded of that and then put it in your planner. Yes. You can start tomorrow. Yes. And if somebody, if somebody like pops into your mind right now, like, huh. You know, they, they, you know, went through something hard six months ago. I wonder how they're doing now. Yes. Yeah. And, and just listening is yeah. the biggest help. Just being, just being. And the things on the non-helpful side is I just think we have a tendency as humans to want to make things better mm. for other people. It's hard to see someone in a sad spot, in a difficult spot. And those actions are actually more harmful you know when you're in such a spot of sadness and it seems that someone's trying to band-aid that almost um because you just need to be in it is what I've realized that um so comments of of like you know well at least you have this you know or look on the bright side you, you know and I'm like there is no bright side right now you need to and let it just me comes be out of our mouth it does it, it does because and then, and then we think back you know five yes. years later it's like why did I say that I know we all have those moments and I'm sure I've had them with you too you know but like I know it's so hard and I've and then that's something I have to constantly keep on my forefront yeah. when I'm helping my kids because sure. yeah. we want to take that away we want to carry that burden for them we want to do anything to help and I, I have to force myself to, to not even say some of those things to my own children to this day, even though I, I know this, right? you know, or yeah. my students that come to me in such a, that I want to, I want to give them advice. I want to, and, and sometimes that's not what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. They need someone to be with them in it, in that moment yeah. and to be heard yeah. and then to go from there. So good. Oh, it's so, it's so hard, but I'm so just immensely proud of you and like you're doing it like you are living a life probably you were wondering like is this is this type of life where your kids are playing soccer and your daughter's dancing and you get to have normal conversations most of the time is that day gonna come yeah I'm sure you wondered if if you could ever not feel just totally shattered and I'm sure yes there's there's still a hole there's always a hole yes but to be able to live like you would want you to. Yes. You're still here. There's your kids yes. are still here and you all deserve a wonderful full life. That's what he want that's what he would want from the sounds of how he lived. 
right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and you're doing it one day at a time. We are. Yes. One day at a time. We're doing it slowly, but we are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Proud of you. Thank really you. Proud of you. <laughs> what do you want your kids to know? Oh. What's, how have you changed in this? And what do you what what do you think is most important for them to know? Jeez. Doesn't even have to be about the about right. the loss right. of, of their dad, but I just I want them to I want them to be who they are. Mm. It was honestly one of the things that Kevin talked about so much. Like he could appreciate from the get-go who they were as little humans and it was going to be our job to just nourish the heck out of that. Mm. And just having watched where they were March 2020 and when I thought I questioned will they ever get to be themselves again like have my children been broken yeah. yeah because we were broken right and you know as the mom you're like well it's okay if I'm broken but they can't be you oh know that's gosh, just yes. how you feel wow. and how unfair because they have not done anything they got to cause this. Right, that's how you feel. How, yeah. how is it now their burden to carry and mend? So to see that they have held on to their spirits and what they know life is about, I want that to be them forever. I want them to always listen to that inside of them. Because it is all that they need and and everything Kevin would want them to be and everything he taught them to be. I want them to know that they they can, period. Like, they have proven that. And to continually look within them and what they know they have and what they love and who they are and what they care about and continue to share all of that with the world, they will not only live life, they will live it well, they will find joy and they will make a difference in this world the way that their father did. Mm. And that is just, it's, it's beautiful to see them where they are now able to find joy. I hope they are able to realize that in their adult lives, that they have done something tremendous. Mm. They have to, to watch them overcome and to lean into themselves and each other right I hope that carries on to them in their relationships in the future to what what families do and what relationships are about and what you give back to the world gosh we want to bubble wrap our kids we want to protect them <laughs> so so much but I'd rather have that version right you'd rather have the fortified version even if it means some hurt, some pain, some challenges, whatever that looks like for any of us. I think I can see their appreciation mm. for life in a way that is way beyond their years. Yes. That most kids of their age do not guess that they have yeah. an understanding and a, and, a, and a soft spot for people, mm. an empathy for others that I think is also beyond their years because they've, it, they've lived through a hurt and they know others hurt too. And they know that we only made it through by paying attention to each other and being there for each other. And so to watch them be able to 
for a brother to notice when a sister is having a sad spot mm. and to know she needs something right now and we need to figure out what she needs. I mean, goodness gracious, if that's not going to change the world, then I don't know what is to, I mean, I was driving the other day and having, or just a, we call it a sad spot. Um, I was having a rough day and I, they could tell I was not okay. And, and Donovan said, what's wrong? And I said, I'm having an extremely sad day. And his response was, what do you need? Oh my. And he listed some options. (laughs) He's nine. And so, yes, I want my children to know that they have learned some incredible things that will carry them in life and matter a whole lot. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for letting me share. I think you are truly extraordinary and I am so sorry for what you've been through and I am delighted to be your friend and constantly inspired and um, I just treasure the family I have, the moments I have and you know when I just have so much gratitude, so much more gratitude, um, you know, when people like you are willing to share with me, it's like, gosh, like just such a dose of perspective. And, um, and I think that's a gift that Kevin can continue to give everybody, right? That, that dose of perspective and gratitude and determination. Yes. It's a way to have him, his memory live on. Yes. Yeah. So. I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? You will eventually wear something called mom jeans. No, <laughs> that's not my answer. I take that back. <laughs> you will buy the same shoes as your son because I have the teeny tiny little feet. <laughs> um, I would tell myself that Google will help you, but you will listen to yourself. Mm that you need to listen to your gut um, and follow that. Worry less, listen to your gut more, and you'll be okay. You got a good gut. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it. (laughs) I I do. It's definitely been uh, trying to grab my attention, and it's, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel proud of yourself? I do. I do. Mm -hmm. I do, because I can now... I'm proud of myself in moments where I I see small I, I have a perspective where I see small parts of life now that I did not really pay attention to before. Mm. And those are the moments that make me proud. That a small moment where I catch you know one of my children doing something that is just a, a moment that shows, you know, something that I am They're like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah you 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 get this and you've overcome and those small moments of even just laughter in one small moment and I'm I'm proud to like look say at us laughing we <laughs> look at we've, us doing this. we've yeah. carried we've trudged through yeah. and we can have these moments yeah. yeah yeah and you've paved the way for you and for them yes job with lots of help though i know i know but you have also learned to accept that help but that's a whole other podcast that is a whole other podcast that we probably should all tune into thank you julie thank you, thank you for being my friend thank you i love you 
I'm so grateful to Julie for taking the time to come on the podcast, to share her story, to share the really important life lessons that she learned, and for the insights she was able to offer to us as listeners as we want to better support those we love who are going through a time of loss. She remarked after that she could have gone on and on about all the ways that people saved her in both practical and just sentimental ways, and maybe that's for a different podcast because I know those things are so important for us to know. But I think the most important thing we can do is show up for those that we love in their hard seasons and after, because that hole in their heart never goes away. And we can't forget about, even though that our life goes on, that loss for them never goes away. So thank you so much again to Julie for coming on and sharing your story. If you want to see a cute picture of her family, you can go to ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dalquas 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks so much, everybody. And we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.